This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Mike Foley. I'm the CFO of Unity Technologies, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 345. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we're pleased to bring you an important discussion we recently featured as a CFO Thought Leader live event. We knew our listening audience, our favorite audience, mind you, would also find this valuable because it's on that topic, that topic of topics. ASC 606, the new revenue recognition standard. No one challenge has perhaps popped up more in our discussions with finance leaders during the last quarter than the approaching compliance deadlines for ASC 606. Now, you'll be hearing from Steve Gusty, controller of Exactly. Steve accepted our invitation to be our marquee finance leader for the live event, and by doing so, he entered what we refer to as our finance leader debrief round. And so, you will first hear my discussion with Steve, who is a seasoned controller with over 25 years of finance and accounting experience in Silicon Valley firms. Meanwhile, we knew this discussion demands multiple voices, and so, you will then hear from John Dunnigan of Armanino LLP. Now, John will broaden the discussion, providing first an overview of the basics of ACS 606, and then he'll touch on such topics as revenues from contracts with customers, the costs, how to account for them by industry, and he'll explore the revenue recognition gap assessment with you. All this after these mere few words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. As we move into our uh, finance leader debrief, exactly corporation has kind of a unique story when it comes to adopting 606. I already shared part of it with you. But over the last 18 months, it's really been part of two worlds, one public and one private. And by that, I mean Zachley uh, was a public company when it first started down the compliance path. Last July, when Zachley was acquired by a private equity firm, it became a private company and therefore adopted a new mindset 
where the deadline was now a year later. It's this turn of events that has perhaps given exactly a unique outlook on the adoption of 606 and a broader understanding of some of the challenges faced by both public and private companies. And so, Steve Gusti, welcome. Good to have Thank you with you. us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I pulled out this chair for you here on the slide. <laughs> as we uh, we're going to quiz you a few, a few qu we're going to throw a few questions your way. Great. And then of course John will be joining us. But uh, before we learn about some of the twists and turns you experienced, uh, can you take us back and recall for us your initial impressions as far as what the standard was likely going to require? And again, you know, the first time you saw it, did you think much of it? And then you, then it, then it kind of dawned on you all of what this meant. Can you share that moment with us? Sure. So, you know, when we first, uh, yeah, there were some exposure drafts that have been going back a, a number of years, and then when the actual came out, it was the, oh no, what do we do now? You know, first we had to go through and, you know, see what the, what it really meant, and and start reading through it, and, you know, the, the RevRec that we were accustomed to was not uh, was pretty pretty thick in the amount of documentation um this new standard was you know as most people have seen is pretty thin not a lot of detail around it although some of the accounting firms are are coming out with a lot um you know more on the impl implementation guides and and some new things around it um but the actual standard is is fairly thin um but as we were going through, we knew pretty quickly that, um, you know, our systems and kind of processes and procedures couldn't support the, the changes that were coming out. Um, you know, we have a uh, homegrown revenue system that we've been using that's, you know, worked well for us over the last few years as we were, you know, getting to, you know, $100 plus million revenue company. Um, but it wouldn't handle the dual reporting that we needed to um, do either the, the retrospective or the modified prospective or, uh, look into our, what our revenue is, right? We didn't have that dual reporting capability. So, you know, we immediately began a, a search for a new piece of RevRec software to help us handle the conversion um, to the new standard, and we ended up picking our ERP that has a, a revenue module attached to it that we had not previously been using. Uh, once we picked that, then it was the the problem of how do we get all the historical data, at least the data that will be affected by 606, into the system. And we've been working pretty heavy um, and hard on, on getting that data in. Um, you know, it, Anytime you try to bring in some of that historical data into a new system, it's a, it's a chore. Um, that was the biggest happiness that we received when we, you know, when we went private, is that we have that extra year delay to make sure that we have, you know, everything in the system correctly and, and um, well managed. Uh, we were on, on track to get it all in by the end of this year. Um, but, you know, taking the time to have that additional year is just a benefit for us. There's no, there's no downside for us to take that, that extra year to get it in and, and ready. Um, the short answer, though, is, you know, we will um, be recognizing revenue in 2018 
for all our current contracts in the new system, which is great. And then once we get to 19, we'll just have to switch, flip a switch and be able to do that dual reporting. And in fact, we'll be able to do it before that to at least know what our changes will be as we go forward, right? So that we can tell our new board, you know, what the, the, the revenue would be under both methods, even though we don't um, report under that new method yet. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you got organized here. Uh, did you did you form an internal task force, or did the company rely on a third party advisor or consulting firm to help get this thing rolling? Uh, we've pretty much done it internally. Um, our revenue manager has really taken the ball and and wanted to to do most of the heavy lifting with his team. Um, we did originally have a consulting group that does a, a number of uh, or works with a number of companies in the Bay Area on revenue as well as some other items. Um, and, and they were pretty helpful to us in, in originally in coming up with the right kind of methodology and way of thinking for the new standard. Um, that was, you know, that was pretty big for us. And then one of the things that we really wanted to think about and make sure we were going down the right path was working with our auditors. Um, they were a bit, really big help originally. We spent a lot of hours with them just trying to make sure that that we were doing the right thing, that we were setting things up correctly from their perspective, that we had the right documentation in place so that, you know, once we were live, um, they would be able to easily audit and review the work that we had done to show the difference between you know, the old standards and, and 606 standards. Um, so we, you know, it was something that was, it was a great working relationship with the auditors that, you know, we brought them ideas. They, um, you know, agreed or, or disagreed with the, the approach. And, you know, we worked through any any disagreements and, and moved forward. And, you know, that's kind of the, the way that we positioned it. And, and so far it's working out very well. Curious about sort of the uh, uh, organization and collaboration here because other than finance, the other parts of the organization that suddenly became aware of the challenge, uh, whether it was sales or, or IT, investor relations, um, did, did finance sort of uh, lead the effort? I mean, did it brief sales or did it brief uh, – where, where did it – how did it unfold within the organization? Yeah, we – um, we took ownership of it right away. Um, one of the first things that we did is I got in front of the rest of the executive team and gave them a, a high-level briefing on, you know, what our um, – what the changes would be or what the expected changes would be with our company and, and how the revenue would be recognized, um, as well as the additional benefit of, you know, for the for our companies specifically, as being a commission provider or commission software provider, um, what the change would be on that side of the house, um, and then we work closely with our IT and business systems people to uh, work on our revenue software selection and then the implementation of it as well. Um, spend a number of hours with our sales ops teams working on both how to structure contracts to minimize the impact. And in our firm, the sales ops team is in charge of uh, uh, commission accounting. 
And so, um, you know, working on our comp plans just to get the good uh, feel for what the impact of, of the commission side would be, the, that incremental expense. So we try to, you know, get as broad an audience as possible for understanding that, that this big change was coming and that it would affect, um, you know, a lot of different areas of the company. Now, you mentioned that Zachley has been busy educating his customers about the pain certain firms are likely to experience here on the cost size in particular, or, or when it comes to commissions that have to be uh, capitalized. Uh, we're on the revenue side. Perhaps it's a little bit easier. What, what exactly are certain company, customers likely to experience here? Yeah, well, you know, when you look at the, the two sides of it, the, the revenue versus the, the cost, um, the, the revenue pretty much follows the contract terms as far as the amount, uh, time that you would recognize the, the, the revenue over, especially in, a, in like us, a, a SaaS model where, you know, you have a contracted term of uh, delivery. When you look at the commission side, it's, it can be very different. The amortization, you know, isn't typically over the, the delivery contract period because, you know, one of the, the things that the, you know, FASB and wrote into it is the concept of re expected renewals. So if you have a software product that has a, um, a period of delivery, it's not, it may not just be for that period that's stated in the contract, but it could include one or two renewals after that. Um, it all depends on the circumstances of the companies. But what we're seeing is that typically in a SaaS environment or, or software environment, the, um, the the length of time that the companies are going to have to capitalize is greater than the commit the, the contracted term. Um, additionally, you know, there's that whole the whole concept of, of fringe benefit type costs that are also directly associated with the cost of a contract. So if you have commissions that you're paying, you have employer side payroll taxes on those as well. Well, those need to be included in that um, capitalization and amortization, which is something that is kind of outside the realm of what you would normally have expected it being a, a revenue standard that's getting, um, that's now including, you know, costs and expenses in it as well. So it's, it's kind of different than what FASB has done on, on other standards in other parts of the business. Now, is this, how is this, is this going to likely to influence how companies actually structure their sales commissions going forward? Are there certain uh, approaches that are not likely to be taken anymore? Or what would you, what would you tell us? Yeah, um, you know, originally people were, were talking, oh, we'll just make short-term contracts, make them three months, um, and then they can take it as a period expense because there, there is a practical expedient that lets companies uh, recognize up front if the, the amortization term is less than a year. But some of the, the questions and examples in FASB's uh, releases have kind of, you know, poured water on that thinking because the, um, the expected renewal will typically put a, a contract into that longer over one-year term so you can't really 
expect to um, expect to not have that that commission over time if you're uh, in that SaaS environment. Um, some of the things we are seeing is uh, uh, making renewal rates commensurate with you know the original um, cost or the commission co pricing, meaning they're paying similar commissions on renewals as they are on upfront, either bringing down the, the upfront original cost and increasing the renewal or just increasing the renewal, although that does could add a lot of cost on the back end. Um, we're also seeing that companies are not able to use Excel as much to manage their commission side. Um, the, a lot of times companies, you know, are, are just going, well, we do this in Excel today, we'll be able to do it in Excel tomorrow just using that basic waterfall type thing. Um, but the, the amount of volume of data that's needed to do the commission side with the actual commission cost plus the any of the fringe costs on top of that, you know, make it really difficult for a company to try to manage all that um, just in Excel. And two, there could be the situation where different items in a contract are being amortized over different lives, which adds, you know, that just one more tier of complexity. Um, so it's those kind of things that we're seeing. Um, another thing is the portfolio approach to amortizing commissions. Uh, that's going to be probably pretty popular if a company sells a lot of the same type of products and can manage to bundle them together um, both over the amortization period and, uh, you know, the, the type of, of uh, delivery. Okay. I have that one last question where I wanted to ask you if uh, you think this standard and, and compliance with it is going to bring greater visibility into the business that had not uh, had not been there before. Do you get a sense of that? Yeah, I, I think if uh, whether a finance you know leader really likes it or not, there's there's going to be a new uh, level of visibility just in the disclosures themselves. Um, it, one of the biggest things that doesn't get talked about is the, the volume of disclosure that's coming in in the, in the new standard. Um, you know, things like backlog and changes to backlog, stuff that companies have been pretty shy to put in their, their public filings. Um, it, it's pretty front and center that you're going to have to produce that type of information. Um, so I think one of the, the things that FASB was really um, driving towards is just greater visibility and greater disclosures over um, all sides of the, the revenue business. Well, Steve, uh, we know you're going to rejoin us uh, after John's presentation. John Dunnigan of Arma Nino. Thank you, uh, John, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Steve, if you're still there, I have a quick question for you. Um, sure. Did you find, did you have a, a lot of impact as a result of this on, on folks outside of the immediate company, things like bank covenants um, or anything like that, loan, loans, investors that you, you've kind of had to deal with where you've had to go out and, 
and, and kind of reset expectations around, you know, debt covenants can be, can be a big impact through um, the timing of revenue and expenses. Yeah, you know, we, had, we didn't have too much problem with our uh, debt covenants, you know, as far as the change. They were, um, you know, for us, pers- you know, personally, the, we didn't have that, that hardcore EBITDA, um, you know, uh, measurement or, or revenue measurement that we had to deal with. Um, but on the investor side, when we were a public company, we had expected to start doing some disclosures just in our conference calls uh, starting this quarter, you know, this, this Q3 that we're in, um, so that investors would understand a little bit about what the changes were going to be uh, this year versus next year, because, you know, Q1 and next year would be the first reporting period under 606. And so, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that we didn't surprise anybody. So th- our plan was to, you know, start disclosing some of that in the in the call this quarter. Okay. Uh, the reason I'm asking is we're having a, a, a lot of discussions with our clients are, you know, trying to address those issues, um, potentially things like debt covenants, if they need, those need to be renegotiated, but also how, to, how do you begin to address that with, with your investors and set, ex, set appropriate expectations for how, how, you know, growth is going to go, how, you know, possible change in EBITDA, what that can mean to valuations and things like that. So, it's, yeah, I was interested in, uh, in, in, in what you'd seen in that and how that impacted you. Um, but anyway, so let me, let me, I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about 606 itself, uh, particularly for those that have not spent a lot of time, time on it yet. Uh, really going to kind of do sort of kind of a quick overview of kind of the basics of 606, uh, some of the costs that, uh, you know, Steve talked about a number of those. But we're going to talk about a few more of those and a little bit about the, uh, the gap assessment. So we already talked about these dates, so I won't, uh, I won't go on them again. It's, it's 18 for public companies, 19 for private companies, uh, assuming, you know, calendar year, January. Um, private companies can early adopt in, in 18, uh, particularly the, the folks we see doing that, particularly those that are very early revenue or you know pre-revenue, uh, it probably makes sense just to go straight to 606 rather than uh, spending time doing 605 and then getting to the dual reporting requirements. Um, but for the most part, for most companies, it's going to be uh, uh, most folks on this call, I guess, are going to be 19 for uh, private companies. So. 606 defines five steps for deciding how and when revenue gets recognized. And these are not too different than what we have today. Um, you know, identify is there really a contract? Essentially, the, the requirements that are really the same as they are now. Uh, the separate contract commitments is, is one of the bigger changes, and I'll, I'll spend a little more time on that in a moment. Uh, but the new standard requires a lot more fine breakdown among the various elements of the contract and determining whether or not they are commitments that 605 did. So there's going to be quite a bit more work around that. Uh, determining the transaction price is one of the bigger changes as well. So I'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit. Uh, then the prices, of course, be allocated across each of the promises or commitments. And then revenue is recognized when and as the company transfers the promised goods to the customers. So that last standard is, is pretty much what we've always had. Um, the revenue gets recognized when, when, the, when, the, when the value gets transferred to, to the customers. 
Uh, a couple key things to keep in mind, though, uh, just broadly speaking, uh, between 605 and 606, uh, the amount of revenue won't change. So the standard is not going to give you more revenue. It's not going to take away revenue. Uh, but it could certainly impact the timing of the revenue. And that's why it's, you really need to take a look at the impacts of 606 and how, how that can impact your company because the timing could be very, very different. Uh, likewise, on the expense side, commissions, um, you know, the, the total amount of expense to get recognized, it doesn't change. But the timing, is, as Steve was saying, could be very, very different, uh, particularly with commissions getting amortized over, over customer life as opposed to contract life, which, which could really stretch that out. Um, one of the other big changes is agenda with a lot more companies who are going to have a look at variable consideration, uh, things like sales incentive discounts and warranties, where a lot of those were previously deferred until they were those uh, those estimates, those uh, variable variations were, were resolved. Uh, a lot of those now need to be, for the most part, estimated up front and recognized and then adjusted going forward. So that's a big change for an awful lot of companies. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about the impact on some various various industries. Uh, I have some examples of how 606 might change the revenue. One of the comments I'll make up front is that these examples are are fairly simplified, I, you know, because it's a webinar, we don't have obviously a lot of time. We try to keep it simple just to really kind of illustrate purposes. When, when we do this presentation live uh, in front of an audience, it's, it's interesting. We get a lot of feedback and comment as we go through these because of individual companies' facts and circumstances can certainly change, change the answers to these. And that actually makes, makes for a very interesting, interesting discussion. And it's one of the reasons why as Steve said, you want to get involved with this early uh, and involve your auditors very early on in the process because they are a lot of considerations, and depending on your individual facts and circumstances, it can be very different. Uh, but that said, uh, let's, let's go ahead and look at a few of the, a, a few of the impacts on a few specific industries. Uh, software industry, particularly for those that are in the more traditional software where you're selling uh, not the SaaS side, but where you're selling term or perpetual licenses, uh, one of the biggest changes is a vendor-specific objective, vendor objective evidence, VSOE, is, is no longer a consideration. So that is no longer part of the standard, um, and, and you, the revenue will get allocated to the license based on essentially uh, what is what we today will often refer to as the best estimate of selling price, and we'll talk a little bit about what some of those are. Uh, but essentially, VSOE is gone. Uh, the units of accounting is, have, have changed. Uh, that can have a huge impact on, on the timing of revenue. Uh, things like right of returns need to be considered up front. Uh, one of the other big changes is uh, when and if available, uh, modifications, updates uh, now need to be accounted for. Uh, when I was a CFO, one of the quick ways, one of the things we had in our contracts was customers generally were allowed to get uh, updates to the software if and when available, which essentially means we didn't need to account for them separately because they were not separately defined deliverables. Um, under the new standard, those do not now need to be looked at. Uh, in many cases, they will need to be separately identified as a separate deliverable, so that, that's another big change. So looking at a, 
again, looking at a, a, a kind of simplified example just to kind of illustrate the point. Uh, if you have a customer that software company has a perpetual license to software and two years of support, fairly, fairly standard type of, uh, type of uh, software license. You have upgrades if and when available. We'll assume a sales price is, is $10,000 and a company does not have VSOE. So the company is probably still fairly young, uh, fairly early startup stage, doesn't have enough history yet to really have established VSOE. So let's take a look at what that might mean to this company. On the right side of this graphic is essentially what the standard revenue would look like under 605, which is the current, the current standard, uh, more specifically 985-605. Uh, so, of course, you'd have cash, the company got, got paid up front or accounts receivable, as the case may be. And under the current standard, because the company does not have VSOE, and because there is PCS, post-contract support, related uh, to the, over the two years, essentially the $10,000 would get amortized over the, over the two-year contract. And that's fairly standard. Also, the good news, of course, if you're in that, in that environment, it makes a very easy revenue recognition process uh, because it's fairly straightforward to recognize it over, over two years. Uh, investors may or may not like that. A lot, of, a lot of companies actually like that to have that very predictable revenue stream, uh, but that's essentially where, where you would end up. 606 looks at things very differently. Under 606, you do need to allocate the $10,000 to the relative standalone selling price of each of the, each of the, three, the three deliverables. Um, and, and those would be, in this case, you've got the revenue license itself. And I, these numbers, are obviously, they would be different depending on, on, your, on your facts and circumstances, how this gets allocated. But it could be you could end up in a situation where you're going to recognize the license revenue on sale, and we're going to assume that's $3,000. Support still gets amortized over, over the two-year period. That's, that would be we're going to assume that's $5,000. So that would just get amortized. Over, over the period. Uh, this is a situation where the, where the upgrades could get recognized, need to get carved out separately and recognized. And what, what I think the auditors, and if we're, this is always a good discussion with Ricardo, it's unfortunate he couldn't join us, uh, it is how, that, how that's going to get estimated, how these, how these costs are going to get estimated. For the upgrades for the $2,000, the question there is really what is the company's history of doing upgrades? Uh, if the company really does have a definitive history, as many companies do, if your company does, of doing upgrades on a regular, fairly regular basis, you're doing them maybe semi-annually, maybe quarterly, maybe once a year, uh, you really need, do need to allocate those out and allocate out the, the estimated cost of those, of, that, of those upgrades. And the way you're going to do that if you actually sell the, if you actually sell those upgrades, that would be the basis for doing it. Uh, if you do have standalone selling price, a little different than VSOE because the, the requirements are, are lower because management can essentially look at the history. But but it's fairly similar as in the actual company's history is always the number one thing you want to look at. Uh, then you would look at third party evidence uh, if, if if that's available, or else you would go to a cost plus type of scenario to determine the value of those upgrades. 
And one of the things I think we'll find is that as you work with your auditors, this is why it's important to bring the auditors in up front, is what kind of documentation are the auditors going to look for to support each of these numbers? Uh, because you're now estimating the license for each of these three components uh, based on history, based on estimates, based on third party, based on cost plus. And the auditors are going to really, as you would expect, you know, typical audit response when you come up with a number is that they're going to say, yeah, that sounds very reasonable. We think that's about right. But now they're going to tell you to go out and prove it. So there's going to be a lot of analysis that we needed up front to really kind of break these components out. So it's something you're really going to need to start thinking about early in terms of how this is, how you're going to do this. A kind of related example um, is, is where you have a, a, a vendor has a contract to build an asset for $100,000. This could be a system. Uh, this might be a uh, this might be a physical asset, like a, like a building, a uh, piece of equipment. And for simplicity, we're going to say it's, it's a $100,000 asset. What's really different about this, though, and this is one where the big change comes in that we want to focus on, is that in this particular contract has a $50,000 performance bonus uh, based on the timing of the completion of the project. And there's a 10% penalty for each week that the project is late. Uh, you know, again, these kind of performance bonuses or penalties are fairly common. And in this case, you know, management estimates the probability. You can see there 30% for on time, 60% one week late, 10% for two weeks late. And the company does have some fairly good history around what, what they think is going to happen here. So they do have a, a way to estimate it. So anytime you have a variable component to, the, to a contract, like this example, under 605, as you would see on the right, and Moses only focuses on that variable component, not the contract overall, uh, but under 605, that variable consideration is generally deferred and not recognized until the uh, unknown, unknown element is resolved. So until in this case you know how late you're going to be, you wouldn't recognize that revenue related to the, related to the, the performance bonus. 606 turns out around, though, and says that, no, management really does need, or you as finance management really do need to estimate the probability of how late you think you're going to be. And, and you start recognizing that revenue up front. You may even recognize it all up front. So not only is revenue getting pulled in very early uh, in the contract process or in the sales process, uh, you also have a, the element here of you're estimating it up front, not after it's not at the completion. So in this case, you know, management expects it to be a one-week delay, so you'd recognize, potentially you could recognize the $45,000 up front. Again, if you start thinking about what this means from an accounting process point of view, from a documentation point of view, uh, you know, the auditors, whoever they are, are going to put a fairly high bar for you to validate how you came up with those estimates. So, so certainly keep that in mind. That's going to mean a lot more work for the finance organization, for all of you on this call, uh, to, to really kind of be able to estimate those numbers and what they are. And, of course, what would happen is, on, you know, further down the line, if you estimate originally 45, you, do, you will adjust that and chew that up as circumstances change. So if you find out you're actually going to deliver on time, you recognize the additional $5,000 in my example. Uh, when you deliver on time, if you realize that you're going to be late or significantly later, you would reverse some of the revenue. Uh, so you could end up with some situations where you have more revenue up front, but then more variability on the back end 
as revenue gets as revenue gets changed. Of course, variability in revenue doesn't make anybody happy, so there's going to be a lot of pressure to try and get these numbers right up front. So the documentation required is, is really going to be is going to be a, a, again a significant element and a significant, potentially significant cost. Looking more at the manufacturing side, uh, this is where you actually have some equipment. Uh, essentially, you've got a multi-element arrangement, very much like you have under 605. Uh, but there are there are some differences. Uh, revenue recognition uh, will be different if you're selling through. Essentially, the sell-through method largely goes away if, if that happens to be significant to you today. Um, customer acquisition costs are going to be very different. Uh, Steve talked about about some of those commission being the big one that that needs to be recognized up front. Uh, one of the big changes on the revenue side is, is things like trade and provision, rights of returns, leasing and financing. Um, now all are going to be recognized. You're going to estimate those up front and, and not at the back end as you currently would under 60, as you currently do under 605. So let's do a, a kind of a quick example here. Uh, Let's say the customer, the vendor has a $20,000 product that they're selling. The customer has a year to evaluate whether it meets their requirements and possibly do a return. Um, and let's, let's assume the vendor does not have a strong history, but they really don't expect the returns to be more than 10%. Pretty straightforward assumptions. Um, on the current 605 standards, what you essentially would do, because the earnings process is not complete and the customer has a right of return, you essentially defer the entire $20,000 until the, until the right of return expires. Um, now, of course, if you do have a history, uh, you know, like typically have retail and whatnot, you would recognize the revenue uh, less than estimated returns um, Anyway, because you would do that strong history, but for a lot of the high-tech manufacturers, a lot of those types of companies don't have that kind of history that a retailer would have, so they end up all getting deferred at the end of the at the end of the period when it's actually the, the revenue uh, gets gets recognized. You can see here you'd recognize eighteen thousand dollars of revenue, and you know kind of an average of ten percent returns. You'd have a a, a refund um, under six oh six. What would happen? Is, is very different because you're going to estimate that revenue, those returns up front, and you're going to recognize the $18,000 of revenue on the date of on the date of the initial delivery to the customer. Um, so you've got the revenues pulled forward fairly substantially, and again, as I said before, when you when you actually true up the revenue at the end, when the, when the right of return expires, you you have an adjustment possibly up or down, and again, the documentation required around this is going to be fairly fairly substantial. Uh, just you know, one, one more one more quick on the professional services industry um, that I want I want to look at. This is where again variable consideration of contracts uh, can, can be can be very very impactful. Um, revenue is recognized upon completion situations where progress can't be estimated, but you can still have progress progress recognized uh, revenue recognized as, as progress payments are made. Um, you could have you could have revenue possibly recognized before acceptance, um, so there could be quite a bit of, quite a bit of difference in in, in, this, in the services industry. So, you know, we're going to we're going to look at this as 
uh, something kind of near and dear to, dear to my heart. Um, since we do a lot of systems implementations, um, you got revenue recognized on, on key deliverables. Or excuse me, uh, you have key deliverables with, with, with payments due uh, $50,000 on phase one, $150,000 on phase two. Um, you know, assuming the company has good, good history and an estimated 12 months to complete the contract. So what would be the, the possible Im impact of this? Um, so under, under 605, uh, revenue is likely to be recognized upon completion of the, my, of the milestones. So you've got, you can see here very simply, you've got two revenue recognition periods uh, upon completion of milestone one and milestone two, you'd recognize the appropriate revenue. Under 606, the, the variable consideration is very different. So based on the history, you may well end up in a situation where the company is going to recognize revenue essentially, you know, straight line over the 12 months. So this is kind of flipping it around a little bit where you've, you've instead of going to now here moving to a more amortized basis under 606 than you had under 605 with the milestones. So essentially you recognize in this scenario, uh, you know, $16,000 a month, which is, you know, one twelfth of the $200,000. So I'm going to jump here, some examples. I really want to spend some time talking about the kind of the gap assessment and some of the ripple effects of the changes. Um, it's very important. One of the things we were strongly recommending, and I, from uh, results of the polls, we kind of saw this, is really do an assessment up front because, as, as Steve talked about, uh, the impacts across the company can be very, very broad. Uh, you know, Steve mentioned that he, he did an address to the, to the executive team and talked you know, got the IT systems groups involved, got sales ops involved. And that's really critical for all of you that are looking at the impacts of this is because it, while we think of this as a change in accounting standard and the impacts on accounting, um, it, it can be much, much broader. Uh, we talked a little bit about analyst and investor expectations, obviously sales and how the commission plans are, are set up. Uh, we didn't talk about this so much, but uh, your forecasting systems, even if you're doing if you're doing your budgets in Excel, your forecasting in Excel, uh, you're going to need to rebuild those models fairly substantially. And how that happens, so you want to think about that as well. The IT systems we talked about a lot more. We talked about some other things. So again, think through all the changes that this is really going to going to impact, and how this is going to flow through your through your company, because it is going to be a very substantial impact throughout. So what are the what are the what is the process really to um, to adopt 606? And what do you really want to do? So essentially, the key thing is really to do that gap assessment up front. Uh, we're working with a lot of our clients. It's really kind of looking at the client-specific impacts of 606 by looking at what is, how are they recognizing revenue today, and what did that revenue look like under 606, and really do that comparison. Um, looking at not only the revenue policy, but looking at the access to some sample contracts uh, to really make sure you've identified all the deliverables and really kind of do that comprehensive gap assessment. That, for, for the finance folks on this call, that really gives you the ability then to go to the IT department, the executive team, the sales team, uh, sales ops commissions, and really kind of define what those are and kind of really lay out a detailed plan to address 606. It can be, you know, uh, exactly has been working on it for, for 
uh, it sounded like about a year. Uh, it can be very, very comprehensive impact. Uh, so you really want to do that. Uh, as, as Steve mentioned with, with his firm, something we always do with our clients is early on you want to involve your auditors. Uh, the last thing you want to do is go down the road of, imp of implementing a 606 solution, whether it be a system solution or changes to contracts, and not have your auditors agreement as to, as to what they're going to do. Now, of course, we all know the, the auditors will never actually sign off on it, but they will. You, know, you do want to make sure they're nodding their head, nodding their head yes, that they, they agree with, with what you're doing and how you're doing. And you work through any of those issues, questions, comments up front. Um, as, as part of that, as part of that plant project planning. After that is done, then you can really do a comprehensive, build out a comprehensive plan um, to move into, into phase two and, and, and phase three of the of the implementation. Uh, phase two being kind of the real detail assessment, contract by contract, and documenting out the change in revenue recognition for all of your contracts. And phase three being then kind of the final implementation and, and rollout, um, whether it be system changes, um, Excel changes, whatever you whatever you want to try to do to really implement 606. Uh, as Steve kind of alluded to, um, for any of you that have contracts today that are going to extend into uh, 19, if you're a private company, you need to do report those, which is to say you need to start tracking those today under 605. Then you're going to need to track them under 606 in 2019 and then report the impact of that change either retrospectively or modified retrospectively. Retrospectively meaning you're essentially restating 18 as if you were under 606, modified being you essentially push it into retained, change into retained earnings. So it is very substantial. Um, so t time is really is kind of of the essence at this point to uh, really begin that assessment process. Uh, so that you have you have time to uh, really address it. Uh, Jack, I don't, I'm sure we don't know if we have any questions. I'm, I'm guessing we probably do. Vault Leader listeners, if you want to view the actual presentation from the live event, you'll find it under the webinar tab on CFOThoughtLeader.com. Just look for on-demand offerings. And John is correct. There were questions. We're going to share them with you right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. You're going to rejoin us now as well, and actually the first one, Steve, I <clears throat> wanted to pass along to you. For those companies, somebody writes, for those companies required to rewrite their commission programs due to the new standard, are there certain characteristics their commission programs shared in common, or is there a criteria that can be used to quickly determine whether a commission program will likely be impacted? 
Uh, the basic calculation of how much commission you're paying isn't going to change. <clears throat> it's what happens after after that. Um, instead of the the commission expense hitting expense right away, it'll it'll then hit a uh, you know it'll be capitalized at that point in time, um, as well as those other costs that I was talking about. Um, you know the the fringe related. Um, but but the basic you know how much you're paying a a person in a particular period that's not going to change before or after the the standard goes into effect um, but it's the expense that'll that'll change and you know it it could be that some of the the management in the sales process isn't capitalized it could be taken you know at a period and all the the actual salespeople and the, the lower managers, that's being ex, uh, capitalized. So it, it all depends kind of on, on how a company pays their commissions and, and the structure of the, the plans themselves. Um, but, but the basic, you know, cash payment amount shouldn't change. Okay. John, someone asks, in regards to bookings, can you give an example of the common circumstances that would lead a company to modify its approach in response to the new standards? So bookings, of course, is not revenue. Um, so uh, a little unclear what they're asking. Bookings is, of course, a very, very common measure that, com that companies use, particularly private companies use, um, related with their, with their investors, uh, VCs, private equity groups, things like that. And then the bookings itself, if, if, if that's what they're asking, kind of the non-GAAP measure of bookings, uh, probably really won't change in, in any way. Uh, bookings usually refers to, you know, the value of the, the, value of the contract overall. Um, in the SaaS world, it, it, may, it may change a little bit. Uh, SaaS actually uh, has... Our true SaaS company has actually very little impact between 605 and 606 because either way, it's generally straight line. Um, but you might have some change in the way the company has to calculate annual recurring revenue, ARR. Um, that might change, but bookings overall itself won't change. Um, you, you, in terms of the revenue and how the revenue gets recognized, you, you may well want to look at your contracts and, and how you're going to do that. Um, as we talked about, uh, a lot of companies, a lot of software companies are moving to a SaaS model um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, 606, I think, is probably going to encourage that because uh, the revenue recognition becomes much more predictable and, and a lot less lumpy. Um, so, so certainly there are reasons why you might want to look at how your contracts are set up uh, based on deliverables. And, and to clarify a lot of things that in the past you really didn't worry about too much, things like, uh, if and when available software upgrades and things like that. So there might be a lot of changes they want to make, but I'm not sure the bookings itself, if that's really what they're asking about, is, is really going to change at all. John, also, uh, Sheldon asks, is any data available regarding the percent of companies that are planning to go full retro versus modify retro? I would be especially interested in companies in the tech industry. Um. I haven't seen any data yet uh, that actually to really give you a hard number. Uh, of course, there's a handful of companies that adopted early. Or public companies could adopt in 17, um, but not many did, as you would, would expect. So, so there's really no hard data yet because companies are still talking about it. My, 
my, my, my kind of gut feeling is just from talking to, 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 to our clients and the way most of them are going, are, are going modified retrospective. Uh, I think it's uh, largely because they don't want to have to go back and restate the prior years. Um, but that's kind of a, you know, what I, kind of what I'm seeing talking to my clients, but, but no, no hard data that I've, that I've seen. I don't know, uh, Jack or Steve, if you've seen anything, but I've not seen anything that's kind of hard data. It's like it's a little too soon to really get a good handle on that. Steve, uh, somebody wants to know which uh, departments were the most affected by the new rules. I imagine counting's number one, but what uh, in Zachley's experience, what were the, uh, was it IT or was it investor relations? What might it have been your estimation, sales? Yeah, uh, so far it's, you know, my, my department's been impacted the most, the, the finance and accounting. Um, we spent, you know, a, a lot of hours with IT and um, the, the business services group to make sure that our systems were um, were sufficiently enabled to to handle both the revenue and the commission side. Um, and so so far, those are the two biggest things. Moving forward, I would expect sales ops to have a little more um, uh, hands-on with it as well. Just as we move towards, um, you know, full implement, uh, full go live of the the commission side. Okay, we have time for just one more, John. I'm not sure if this is uh, getting a little too specific here. What someone asks, what's the difference between IFRS 15 and ASC 606? Is this uh... so? IFRS is IFRS is the international standard. Uh, 606 is the U.S. standard. Um, they're pretty similar. The the objective of the new of both new standards coming out was, you know, in an ideal world they would like to have had, you know one international standard that everybody follows. Uh, this convergence, as they call it, was really the goal. Um, and they they came they came pretty close. So so the IFRS and the, and the U.S. GAAP standards are. Are, are very similar. There are some some minor differences uh, across the industries. Um, you know, kind of editorial. My editorial comment would be: you know, as much as we'd like to have one international standard that everybody follows, you know, governments like to have their hands in everything. And you know, the SEC um, would never completely give up its its ability to make rules. So you'll never quite see that. So the standards are close, but but not quite exactly the same. Um, so most of the examples we gave would be very similar under under IFRS, but there, there could be some minor differences. Well, I'm afraid that's all the time we have. If we didn't get to your question, we'll see if uh, our speakers will perhaps email you a response. Thank you for joining us, and special thanks to those speakers, Steve Gusti of Zackley Corporation and John Dunnikin of Armanino. Uh, we couldn't do this without Blackline, our sponsor, of course. Many thanks to Blackline for helping us elevate the voice of strategy-minded finance leaders. Thank you, and have a great day, everyone. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, 
you can now go premium at CFOFaultLeader.com.